reading this morning is taken from the Gospel of John, which is on page 1085, if you want to follow it in your pew Bible, which is on the seat, under the seat in front of you. John 17, 1 to 5, on page 1085. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. This is the word of the Lord. Now, there are a couple of reasons why we should. particularly take note of this section of the Bible we're looking at this morning, what it's saying to us. And one of them, weirdly, has something to do with this. And I want to ask you a question. Do you happen to know what Spike Milligan, the comedian, planned to say when, at the moment of his death? What did he plan to say? Do you know? Come on, louder, louder. I told you I was ill. There are some old people here who remember this. So let's put that slide up. Half of you probably don't even know who Spike Milligan is. It's that man there. And they, they put it in, in Gaelic on his, on his stone there in Winchelsea because they thought it was a bit un, unbecoming for the churchyard. So it's in Gaelic. You can't actually read it in English. On a more serious note, however, Edith Louisa Cavell, British nurse and patriot, who was executed, sadly, by a German firing squad, said... Next slide, please. Said... Standing as I do in the view of God and eternity, I realise that patriotism is not enough. I must have no hatred or bitterness towards anyone. So people often choose their words carefully, those last words before they die, they choose them carefully. And the reading we've just heard that Andrew read to us from the Bible contains words from the final prayer of Jesus before his death. These are Jesus' final words, recorded words to his father, except maybe that short prayer, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing as he was on the cross. These words are partly echoed too in Edith Cavell's words there when she said, I must have no hatred or bitterness towards anyone. So the first point to note is that these words are really important as they're Jesus' final prayer. Jesus knows that soon he'll be unjustly crucified, killed for a crime he didn't commit. And so I'm sure Jesus chose his words, led by the Holy Spirit, very carefully. And the the second thing to note is that not many prayers of Jesus talking to his father are actually recorded. And this is the longest. It's not surprising, really, uh, that they're not recorded because they were private. But this prayer shows us the intimacy of Jesus the Son's relationship with the Father God, his heavenly Father. Maybe this prayer was prayed out loud by Jesus. John heard it, mulled over it over the years. I don't know. So thinking about prayer, let's pray for a moment. Lord, I pray that uh, you'll use these small words 
in a big way for the purposes of your glorious kingdom. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So basically, I want to talk about three things this morning. What is glory? What is this glory Jesus is talking about? And what does it mean for us today? So first of all, what is glory? Now sometimes, I don't use the word glory very often, sometimes you might say, oh, what a glorious sunset. But here, I've got a picture there of a glorious sunrise. I took a while ago going to work, looking back at Greenwich when I was on the north side of the Thames, the sunrise. But the word glorious that I don't use that often can mean great beauty and splendor. Great beauty and splendor. So when we talk of a glorious sunset or sunrise, that hour when it rises or sets, we're probably referring to the beauty and splendor of the sun, particularly when it sets or rises. Jesus mentions glory or glorify a few times in the beginning of this great prayer. So in verse 1, he looks towards heaven, he prays, Father, the hour has come, glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. And then later he says, I brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So going back to our example about the sunrise, the sun is always beautiful and it's a splendid thing which actually keeps us all alive. Um, And we can't survive without that sun. But we particularly maybe notice the sun Uh, how glorious it is at certain times, like the hour of sunrise or sunset. We particularly notice. And those times particularly bring home to us how glorious and splendid and beautiful the sun is. And I think here Jesus is hinting at something similar. He says, Father, the hour has come. The hour has come, like the hour for sunrise, sunset. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. The hour has come, he means, when he's going to die on the cross. And he's going to be raised from death three days later, for our sakes. And at this time, just before his death, and in his death, he's asking of his Father in heaven, in the prayer, that he, Jesus, may show the great beauty and the great splendor of the Son of God, that is Jesus himself, the visible image of the invisible God, as well as the great beauty and splendor of the Father God. So that's part of what he's saying, I think. He says in this prayer, he wants to show God's glory in his death and rising from the dead, which you might think is a rather unusual way to show beauty and splendor. But that's going to happen over the next few days. And Jesus wants all people to see the beauty and splendor of God's love, even in Jesus' cruel and terrible death on the cross. And of course, when we take communion, we still remember that death and resurrection, particularly at Easter, when we share, and, and when we share the bread and wine. So Jesus prayed, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. Now in the next verses, 4 and 5, I think he's using the word glory maybe slightly differently, was he expanding on it. And that's it going from great beauty and splendor, he's saying this to his Father God, he's saying, I brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And in everyday Greek that the New Testament was written in, an aspect of the word for glory means reputation. Reputation. 
And it also draws on the Old Testament word used for glory being weight or heaviness, a bit like a rock, isn't it? Or substance, it's got that element to it as well. So Jesus is maybe saying here, I have shown the weight, the substance, the depth of God's reputation. I've shown his character of love and holiness by finishing the work given to me by my Father on the cross. I brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do, Jesus says. And in Jesus' mind, I think, when he's about to face this terrible, unjust, cruel death on the cross, he focuses on the wonderful, encouraging vision of the future beyond death in a glorious existence with God. And we may too, when we're having a hard time, we may also think about these things. And glory here, I think, means also a place or a kingdom as well as the meanings we've looked at so far. He says, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. He wants the Father, his Father, to reassure him that he will be with his Father God. He will be in the presence of his Father once more, as he was before the world was created, when he's facing this awful death. He wants that reassurance. And God is outside of time. God holds time in his hands. But where God is, there is love, there is peace, there is justice, there is no suffering, there's no war, there's no evil. And Jesus refers here to the fact that he was in this glorious, wonderful, substantial, weighty, splendid and beautiful place. He, with the Father and the Holy Spirit, he was with the three-in-one family of God, even before the world and the universes or whatever were created when there was only God the three in one God that's what it was like and that's what it's going to be like so he prays and now father glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began so now let's, let's quickly move on and we'll look at what's the glory Jesus, Jesus is talking about and I want to think more about this place Could I have the next slide please that's it. Uh, I want to think more about this place, which the Bible writers call God's kingdom or heaven, or sometimes people just call it glory. You hear people say they've gone to glory. That's what they mean. And this place is eternal, as I've said. It's outside time. It's substantial, heavy, firm, eternal. And that's where Jesus was before he was born as a human being. And that's the place of glory existence that he returned to after he's ascended. He went back to glory, to heaven. And the middle of Jesus' prayer is useful in helping us think about this eternal, glorious place. It says there, For you granted him, Jesus, could we have the next slide, please? Him, Jesus, authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So this place of glory and splendor, And love, where God is king, is eternal. It's even more beautiful than a sunrise or sunset. And God is eternally, gloriously good, completely good and loving. And so is that place. It's very different to the world around us now. The prophet Isaiah describes it like this in Isaiah 11.6. He talks about this place in kind of picture language, but I think could literally be like this. The wolf will live with the lamb. 
The leopard will lie down with the goats. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. That's a very different picture from our world, our daily experience, isn't it? In our current world, wolves eat lambs. Leopards eat goats. And they're both a threat to little children. And this picture painted by Isaiah points to a safe place of glory, no death and eternal life. This glorious place is God's eternal kingdom. So what does that mean for us today? If we have the next one. What does that mean for us today? So it means, I think, that Jesus saw his death and resurrection as giving him the authority, making it possible to give, to give eternal life to others as a gift. And this doesn't mean in the future when heaven and earth are remade. It means those who follow Jesus, who are Christians, can experience a foretaste of that glorious kingdom now, here and now today. God's original family, if you like, the three-in-one God, was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit before anything was created. God is a social God, three-in-one God, before anything else existed. And they live eternally, but they also live with an eternal quality to to their life, the quality of peace, love, justice, holiness, no death, no suffering, no illness. And through Jesus' death and resurrection... He wants to give us that eternal life. He wants to adopt us into God's wonderful, glorious family. Even though, as a human race, we have walked away from God like the prodigal son. We've walked away. His death and resurrection have made it possible for him to give us this eternal life, this glorious life. Paul says to a letter to the church in Galatia, he says, when the time, set time had fully come, when the hour had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. That we might receive adoption to sonship. It's about adoption into God's family. I don't know, now, before I put the picture up, does anyone watch the choir? Yes, I do. Does it make you cry? Yeah, it's great, isn't it? You all ought to watch it if you like crying. <laughs> anyway, it's a good program. They recently had one where Gareth, the choir master, worked with the school next to Grenfell Tower, where the terrible fire was. And Adil in the picture, there's Adil, he's 14 years old, uh, he's a great singer. And Gareth encouraged him to sing, but he found that Adil found it hard. He needed lots of encouragement. One of the reasons he found it so hard is because Adil there, at the age of 14, has had 11 different foster parents. You imagine this. 11. And he struggles with really feeling love, so he keeps moving from one family to another. However, he felt the last family he was with really did love him. He did feel that love. But he, he's looking for a loving family. He's looking for love, Adil. And you have to watch it on iPlayer to see what happens. Now, I don't know any of your situations here this morning. You may have experienced foster families or an adopted family. You may be a foster carer or an adoptive parent, mum or dad. Foster families and adoptive families are just so important and so godlike. And what the Bible is telling us is that God's family, with a love and glory beyond our imagining, 
God's family, the three in one God, wants to adopt us. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit wants us to experience their eternal life both now and in the future. As Paul says, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son that we might receive adoption to sonship. And the Greek word for adoption to sonship is a legal term referring to the full legal standing of an adopted male heir in Roman culture. Anyone adopted, you weren't like a second-class citizen. You had full rights as if you were a natural child of that family. And I think that's really important to remember. That's how God sees us when he adopts us. He, doesn't, he wants us to have those full rights. So on this Mothering Sunday, as we often focus on our mothers and our families... On this Mothering Sunday, I would encourage you, if you're not yet someone who follows Jesus, who's not yet been adopted into God's glorious, wonderful, weighty, holy family, eternal family, if you're not yet a Christian, then come to him recognizing we all have turned our back on God and do things that are not as God wanted us to do. We sin and God doesn't. That's not his glorious eternal nature. But come to him and turn back to him. Repent. Ask him to adopt you into his loving, glorious, eternal family. Ask him to live in you, that that glorious eternal life in you, and give you a foretaste of the eternal life that you'll get beyond death. And if you're a Christian here this morning, I would encourage you to be so thankful to God that you're adopted into his eternal glorious family. In doing this sermon, I, I have, the main thing I felt is thankfulness, to be honest. And as Jesus invited people into his family of glory and eternal life, may we also invite others into that family and share the love of God's family throughout the week in serving others. And if the idea of fostering or adoption is something that you're sitting here maybe thinking about, Maybe God wants you to find out more about it. Do come and talk to me afterwards. I mentioned this at 8.30 this morning in a service, and someone did come up to me. So maybe that's on your mind. It's a very godly thing to do. Amen.